Sam. Yeah, what's up, Don? What's the word? Figure. Figure? A figure of speech literally walks into a bar and ends up getting figuratively hammered. Where'd you hear that? I I heard heard it through through the grapevine. Welcome, it's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don, how you doing? I'm starting to freak out. I can hear the strangled cry of pumpkin spice turkeys tangled in tinsel and tankeray. There's a little bit of alliteration there. (laughs) A little bit of alliteration. (laughs) The end of year holidays are upon us. Uh, Today we have the perennial holiday question. How am I going to stay sober in all this holiday stress and expectation? How do you do it, Don? When I first got sober, it seemed impossible. And I had to step up meetings, go to meetings, just immerse myself in AA. But the one thing that I've learned over the years is what I've got to do is treat every holiday. It's just another day. I drop all expectations because that's where I mess up. I get expectations and I want the day to go some way or other. And I don't have control. I don't have control of what anybody else does and what's going to happen. And this is the way I need to live my life every day anyway, is Mm. letting go of how the world is going to operate and simply show up and be available to it. It's like you can't control the world, Don. It's exactly (laughs) like that. And the holidays just exacerbated because it's like there's more pressure for everything to be a certain way, or particularly like if you're supposed to have a good time and suppose you're not having a good time or suppose you're sad, that can happen. And and Mm -hmm. a holiday, the expectation is that you need to be happy and you're not. So the best possible thing is the same thing that works every other day, go to meetings, and let go of all outcome and just show up and be available to the day. How can I be of service today? And if I can do that, I can actually have a wonderful time. You know, that's a a great point that you added at the very end there about how can I be of service today? Um, Going into these holiday events where I look where, how can I help? What can I do to help someone else have a good day today is a great way for me to go. But I got to tell you, you nailed another thing. And that was about uh, going to meetings, especially in my early recovery. It wasn't just holidays, but weekends even threw me for a loop. Saturday was a holiday. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know what to do with me. Monday through Friday, I had my routine. I get up, go to work, come home, feed the dogs, go to the meeting, go out to eat maybe, and then go home, go to bed. Saturdays would hit, Sundays would hit. And then, oh my God, then we got a holiday Monday off or something like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with me. And so what I did was go to more meetings. I hung out with people in recovery and it just helped me because left to my own devices, especially in those early days, I would probably have gotten myself into some trouble. It's a good idea to go to meetings and bring up the topic. Oh yeah. We can always talk about how do I deal with the stress of the holidays? So, you know, there's lots of things. There's there's social expectations. Well, maybe you don't have to participate in all the social expectations that feel so imperative. 
talking with a sponsor over these things helps as well. Yeah, there's a lot of experience in the room. So bringing it up as a uh, topic for a meeting, how do I how do I deal with holidays? It's a great one. Well, today we've got an interview with Chris, whose home group has an unusual name. And what might that be, Don? The Wharf Rats. The Wharf Rats. Yeah. So All right, I, I, I look forward to knowing how that happens. I like the idea of asking people about their home groups and how they got their names, if they have an unusual name. And I want to dive into these Wharf Rats. So let's... <laughs> <laughs> That just got a great visual there. Maybe I should reword that. (laughs) Nope, run with it. (laughs) Let's go to our guest. What's in a name? This is a segment where we find groups all around the country who have an interesting name, and we call them up and find out How in the world did you come up with a name like that? Like, for example, Rebellion Dogs or Rebellion Dogs are every step (laughs) or Brain Damage Group. I mean, I know how some group would name themselves that (laughs) or my uh, Zoom group, Shivering Denizens. Big book reference. There we go. So today we've got an interesting group name, the Asheville Wharf Rats. (laughs) And Chris is here to talk with us about it. So my name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Chris. uh, During the pandemic, I, like so many others, started getting on to Zoom and finding a variety of meetings. uh, In some ways, I don't want Zoom to end, you know, because I've made such great friends. I I have groups that I attend in San Francisco, Miami, and New York. And then on Thursday and Friday nights, I go to the Asheville Wharf Rats. Now, the Wharf Rats are a group of alcoholics who got together back in the days of the Grateful Dead touring. (laughs) There are people who were uh, trying to stay sober and trying to live in in the world of live music. So they got together at before and after shows. And during the set breaks, they would have meetings and they would get together and they would... uh, share and all that. Uh The Asheville Wharf Rats are an Alcoholics Anonymous group. The one thing we have in common besides alcoholism is our love for Grateful Dead music. So they meet on on Thursday and Tuesday night. Wharf Rat is a reference to a song by Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter. And in the song, Jerry sings about, I know that the life I'm living is no good. The good Lord you're blowing it here. You need to sing this to us. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> okay. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I know that the life I'm living is no good. I'll get a new start, live the life I should. The good Lord willing, if he says I may. It's a story about this guy named August West. And August West is a down and out guy down, at the, down on the wharfs. And this other guy meets up with him and August asks him for a dime for a cup of coffee. And the guy says, I got no dime, but I got some time to hear your story. So they sit and they talk. This song endeared itself to people who are in recovery because all this kind of talk is exactly yeah. the kind of thing we go. Exactly. That's fantastic. So, so the Asheville Wharf Rats meet twice a week. And well, on Tuesday nights at the topic meeting. So somebody will sort of usually do a reading from the big book or the 12 and 12 or another piece of it. And then on Thursday nights, it's a speaker. So they, they get somebody to come and tell their story. 
So you've been going to that meeting for a while. Well, a little, a little over a year now, I guess. There are other meetings like it. There's something called the fellowship with a PH in the beginning instead of an F. And the fellowship is fish fans instead <laughs> of Grateful Dead fans. <laughs> okay. Well, when did the Wharf Rats start? I think the Wharf Rats started around 1987. Wow. There's a guy whose name is Don M. And he was kind of a... Sounds a, familiar. No relation. Yeah, he was an <laughs> army veteran. And uh, he got together with a woman who's Kristen T. And they uh, kind of sparked the idea and it took off. And, you, you know, it's good when you go to a show, you, you walk around, either if it's an outside show, you just look for the yellow balloons or you, if you're in an arena, you know, you walk, walk the uh, circumference of the arena until you find the yellow balloon. Oh, very cool. cool. I have a, a former sponsee who went to a music festival at Bonnaroo right. and uh, was so thrilled about his experience finding recovery folks at, right. at that festival. Have you been to a festival? Have I? Yes. Sober? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most of the music I've seen now, being 31 years sober, I've been to a lot more concert festival in sobriety than drinking. When I was drinking, I would be passed out in front of the place. You know, sleeping, <laughs> up, sleeping up against <laughs> Of the course you would. <laughs> when was the first time you felt comfortable in sobriety to go to a concert? Because it took me, well, it was a couple of years and I wasn't that comfortable. I would say probably 1998. Uh, I had started writing a book uh, called AA to Z. One of, the, one of the suggestions I had for a topic in was the Warfrat. So I learned about that through my research for the book. Hmm. And my wife and I were up in Saratoga Springs and there was something called the Further Festival. It was going to be the Black Crows and Bob Weir and his and Mo and a bunch of other bands at Saratoga. And I went to my first Warfrats meeting at that festival. It was the summer of 98. So I'd almost been nine years sober. Mm-hmm. And I may have I kind of left the scene because I didn't want to be in that slippery position. Well, that leads to a question I was going to ask. I mean, what, were there moments that you had to be particularly mindful of your recovery? You needed to step away or even leave? Not, not connected to the war frets, because the first thing I do when I go to a show is look for the table and find the people. And of course, now, after years and years and years of doing this, I recognize people. And, you know, we all oh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not like the old days where, you know, travel out to Chicago to go see the Grateful Dead. It's not like that anymore. But I'll go, you know, I'll go see bands in, in nearby. And usually I travel now with a couple of buddies who are both solid AMM. So you're carrying sobriety with you, with the people right, that right. I'm imagining for somebody listening to this, of going to festivals and going to concerts. That, this was one thing that I missed terribly when I got sober. It was, you know, it was like cutting off a limb or something because I played music and I went to concerts all the time. And of course, I drank to excess. Right. But getting sober, I couldn't. When do you, how do you determine that you are able to, to go to a concert where there's going to be alcohol? Because you know, in the book, it says we need, we can go anywhere if we have good reason to be there. We can go to the most sordid places on earth. Right. That's right. right. And th- these concerts can be sorted. <laughs> Indeed. Right. I, I want to throw out one quick question before you answer that, though, because, Don, you, you've been sober a while, and Chris, you have too. What age were you when you got sober? I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 31. 
31. Yeah, but I had spent most of the decade before that dry. The last two years, I had split up with my first wife, uh, went out after that, went a two-year bender, and then I finally crawled into AA. You know, I I feel like I I can do just about anything, uh, especially, and, and the things that I love, like live music, are things I really seek out now. There's a joy that comes from that and a feeling of camaraderie, especially when I go with friends and yeah. enjoy the, like the war mm-hmm. meetings at the set breaks and things like that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say to any newcomer that they should just go cold. I mean, they should, you know, make sure that they're spiritually fit and that they have some of the things that my sponsor told me in the early years had to go to like a business Christmas party or something like that was to, you know, make sure I go to a meeting that day before I go and make mm-hmm. sure I call him before I go call him during it and check in and tell him how I'm doing and call afterwards. So those kinds of things were, so you stay connected with the people who you, who you rely on with uh, for your sobriety. And also, you know, it's when you're talking to a, uh, another alcoholic about something that might be slippery, you know, it's, it's a way to connect to others and it's a way to connect to God, you know? Well, okay. Here's a big question. So how do you know that you're spiritually fit? I mean, I w- I've often said that I wish that I had a spiritual buzzer that would go off and it's like a little check engine light, yeah. <laughs> check engine light for when I'm not spiritually fit. Ah, don't go. But there is no such thing. So no, there isn't. But there are things that I can do. One of the practices that I took up in sobriety was journaling about how I was feeling. And, and I can often get to truths. Stuff like that can help sitting in meditation and praying and seeing, you know, there's times when I'll try to sit down and meditate where my head is just flush with all kinds of other garbage going on and I can't do it. But if I can sit and quiet myself, know that I'm connected to others in AA and that I'm connected to God, then I, you know what that feels like, I'm sure. And I know what that feels like. And that's a, there is a, there is a barometer you can find if, uh, if you work for it. I think it's like being very honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Am I feeling squirrely or not? Yeah, but I'm always feeling squirrely. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a wharf rat, not squirrely. <laughs> well, some of it comes too from having worked the steps and and learn learning right. how to get honest with myself, being able to look a little deeper than I'm I did whenever I was starting. You know, I mean, what a gift we have in the steps. It's funny, you know, I've been working the steps with another guy over the past few weeks and we we're on the fourth step and uh, he started worrying about things like making amends. And I said, that's the ninth step. You know, you still got several steps in between. You don't have to worry about that right now. Right now, we just have to take our inventory. That's a real trick. Yeah, just do what's in front of you. What's the next thing? And don't look around the corner. No peeking. <laughs> yeah, no peeking. <laughs> Well, it's like it's like the drinking, you know. I, when I went up to the bar and got a shot in a beer, I was thinking about when the when the next shot in a beer. That's how we're wired, you know. If I'm on step four, I'm going to worry about step nine instead. Oh yeah, working with other alcoholics is the way we stay sober. And and you're describing doing that working with a sponsee. When you were going through the steps, what was a step that really changed your life? that you maybe didn't think was going to happen or perhaps even thought was a crazy thing to do. I never in a million years thought that I would get the second step coming in like I did. I was came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I came in and I had gone to Catholic school as a kid and 
had suffered under, you know, kind of a, an abusive system there. And then uh, went to public school and high school and then went to college and took philosophy and physics and biology and science. Kind of whole, rejected the whole idea of God. And then in my drinking and all that, uh, I fancied myself an atheist. I was working on the second step with my sponsor. This is pretty early on. This is only about 40 days into sobriety. And he had me reading the big book. And I read the part in the big book, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it says something like, just ask yourself, do you, do you now believe, or are you even willing to believe in a power greater than yourself? And so I knew this was a big question. And I was on the train coming back from New York up the Hudson River. And it was a, it was a May night, so it was dusk. And I was looking out over the Palisades across the Hudson River. The sun had just gone down, spectacular sunset. And I'm asking myself, do I now believe? And, and then am I willing to believe? And I said, yeah, okay, I'm willing to believe. And all of a sudden, this, I had one of those Bill W. experiences. I mean, it was like, all of a sudden, I had this incredible rush of joy, this feeling that the weight of the world was taken off my shoulders. Mm. Um, you know, I, I worried a little bit that I was having a flashback to one of those earlier Grateful Dead concerts, <laughs> but, yeah. but, and that stayed with me for a really, really, I, I really took to AA after that, got involved in group service and helping others and went through the steps with a gusto, you know, really, really wanted to learn more. Got to the point where you know, my, 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 my girlfriend at the time who became my wife, uh, you know, was like, thought I was a little, little over the edge with it, you know, the whole God thing, but. <laughs> it's 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 moderated and i do have a good sort of understanding of the higher power in my life today it seems to me that higher power god is an experience rather than a belief yeah. and when i surrendered i had an experience it's like i would love to i would love to feel that at any time on call yeah. and you know be able to have that thing rush over me again but I find that when some idea of God seems very real to me, it's when I'm working with another person in AA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think so much of the, the God experience is losing self. You know? So when you're working with somebody else, obviously you're getting out of yourself and you're, you're, you're focusing on them, you're helping them, you know, and and not too long ago, I, you know, I would pray to God that he would take away my resentments, take away any hatred I feel, take away any fear, take away any anger, rebellion that I'm going through. And eventually I realized I need to also ask for the strength to let them go. I can't expect them just to be you know, pulled out of me like a cavity. I've, I've got to let go. I've got to release them. Uh, I can't say that I've done that yet, but it seems like a different type of exercise today when I'm asking for, for, for the strength to, to let them go. That, uh, that's ongoing, that letting go. Oh, man. It, it's not one time. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, and step, step six and seven get like two, two or three paragraphs in the big book. And it's by far, mm -hmm. those two steps are by far the most troublesome and long-term and hardest work for me. They're the two shortest steps in the book and they get the, the smallest amount of space and they're the ones that we work the longest. Yep. <laughs> you know, I did hear a speaker once share about step six and seven that she just summarized it so quickly. It's like having done that, uh, that fourth and fifth step, I did the sixth step. That was just a moment of, 
oh my God, this is who I am. And then step seven was God help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going through a lot of that right now. Starting to realize a lot of things I didn't really know about myself. And we're talking 30, 32 years later. It's crazy. Uh, you know, the work you, continues. You said that your wife thought you were over the top on the idea of God's spirituality. Can you share about that a bit more? When I first had the spiritual experience, I kind of all of a sudden, like wanted to go back to church. I didn't want to necessarily go back to the church that I grew up in, mostly for some of their political standing and stuff. Because my, you know, my brother was gay, and I was not real happy about the uh, Catholic Church's stance on that. So I went to the Episcopal Church. I went through the whole thing of being received by the Episcopal Church, you know, all that. Had to get blessed by the bishop, and all. that didn't seem like, you know. <laughs> but you were changing. Yeah. And a lot of that's going away now. I mean, you know, I was out on my bicycle last week and I was coming through the Adirondacks on the bicycle and this field came into view. All of a sudden I saw this pink and yellow and white and purple array in the field and it was all these wildflowers. I don't know if you've ever had one of these, but I had one of those <gasps> kind of yes. gasping uh, moments where I just felt this presence of this grace from God just to have just to have noticed it, you know, when you're rushing by in a car at 55 miles an hour, you know, you don't see stuff like that, but on a bicycle or out walking. Or... I saw a George Harrison uh, documentary and he said it, and it was the first time I saw it. I, I kind of agreed with somebody that God is everything, that we are all part of it. It, it is all part of us. It's hard to define. It's hard to understand, but it's, uh, you know, this, this great spirit that works within us, you know, especially in Alcoholics Anonymous, where we'll go to any length to help somebody. Else. I remember getting up at three in the morning because I got a call from the inner group. I, you know, I, I spent a week with a guy who had been thrown out of the house and living on the street and was dehydrated and sick and convinced him to go to the hospital. And, and I helped him get into a rehab after the hospital and helped him after that. And I mean, what would motivate somebody to do that? Love, right? And, and, only, and love only comes from this great spirit because I, there was nothing in it for me. I mean, there was. I stayed sober during those. But it was more than that. It was, uh, I really wanted to help this. And there was, there's nothing I can define about why that would be. Or when you see some things like the, the New York City firemen when they rushed into the Twin Towers, you know, what is, um, what's behind this? There's this great spirit that, that exists that we can all tap into. So Chris, how do you stay sober today? So this is a lesson I had to learn after about 22 years of sobriety. I started to feel disconnected. I started to feel like I wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. Discontent. Is this all there is? Yeah. Is this as, is this as good as it gets, you know? And um, I started having conversations about this with my sponsor at the time. And he was kind of going through the same thing. And uh one night, he said, if we want what we once had, what if we do what we once did? Like every morning, get on our knees and pray. Call your sponsor. Help another alcoholic. Read some literature. Go to a meeting. You know, all those things you learned in the first 90 days. What if we did that again? What would happen? So we gave it a try. And, you know, by no means am I perfect. But when I do those things, when I... Remember to read some literature in the morning. I also add journaling. Just write out what's going on, what I'm feeling. And then sit 
breathe for a while and then pray. You know, I, I have sort of a routine where I do the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and the eleventh step prayer. But I improvise within those to try to talk about the things that are going on in my life that I, I need help with. And then make sure I call an alcoholic that day. Make sure I go to a meeting that day. And then at night, you know, breathe again and thank God for another day of sobriety. And when I do that, you know, my life seems to go in the right direction. It's not perfect. Life is life. You know, we go up, we butt up against things sometimes. But for the most part, when I'm in that routine, my life is really good. And I've been in that routine now for, you know, several months. And I think that my life is going pretty well. Well, Chris, that is a, a fantastic place for us to wrap up. Thank you. And just another quick shout out to the Asheville Wharf Rats. And when, when is it they meet, Chris? Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. On Zoom? On Zoom. I'm sure that that is totally Googleable. Or that's a word, right? Google Google. Um, you can probably even find them in the meeting guide app. Mm -hmm. Good suggestion. All right, folks, that's what's in a name. Thanks. Krusty, how long have you been sober? 40 years, one day at a time. It's a good life being sober. Yeah, but I do miss the good old days. How come? Well, I wasn't that good, and I wasn't that old. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.